friends. This is your host, Billy Dean Shoemate III. Welcome back to Strange Places, episode 69. That is amazing that we've come this far. Man, we're almost in our third season. I know it's weird, but I do seasons February to February because that's when the whole podcasting thing started. And I have to do things the hard way. So there you go. We're almost in our, th- <laughs> we're almost in our third season. Thanks for coming back. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor and DistroKid. So based on the title, you may have heard of this one. It's pretty famous. It's also known as the Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter. But in most circles, it's called the Hopkinsville Encounter because that's where it was reported. Now, I'll, I'll let you know why I decided to call it the Hopkinsville Encounter. Mostly it's for brevity, too. I hate typing and even typing a, you know, five-letter word. That's too much for me. <laughs> I might change it to Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter. I don't know. But for now, Hopkinsville Encounter might keep it that way. It's known in most circles as that anyway. The Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter, also known as the Hopkinsville Goblins or the Kelly Green Men case. See, they flip-flop on this a lot. Plus, I like the title, Hopkinsville. It was a claimed close encounter with extraterrestrial beings in 1955 near the communities of Kelly and Hopkinsville in Christian County, Kentucky, which is about an hour from where I'm sitting right now. UFOlogists regard it as one of the most significant and well-documented cases in the history of UFOs. While skeptics say the reports were due to the effects of excitement, misidentification of natural phenomena such as meteors and owls, because, you know, meteors and owls, they often get seen together, right? (laughs) The U.S. Air Force classified the alleged incident as a hoax in the Project Blue Book files, which in recent years, we've learned just how serious, or should I say not serious, they were about the Project Blue Book. What gets me about Project Blue Book is that it's obvious even to, you know, the most dim-witted among us that Project Blue Book was a thing where, if you don't remember... The United States government came together, 1952-ish to 1969. They came together and did a systematic study of the UFO phenomenon. Air Force teamed up together, headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio. And at the end of it, they said, what was it, like 90% of UFO cases are misidentification? And you know what? I don't doubt that. I, I really don't, actually. Could be experimental aircraft, could be classified things, could be anything. But you know what? The 10%, 10%, and that's a lot. Of all the UFO cases that they studied, it was a little bit less than 10, actually, because they just omitted some from the final numbers for some reason. It's got BS written all over it. But there is a small percentage in which they could not identify And this is one of those that they classified as a just straight-up hoax. I would tell you how they arrived at that, but they have offered no explanation as to how they've come to that conclusion. Zero. Psychologists, in turn, have used the alleged incident as an academic example of pseudoscience to help students distinguish truth from fiction. This one is so big that they talk about it in schools of higher learning. Crazy, right? It's a big one. On the evening evening of uh, October 21st, 1955, five adults, seven children, 
arrived at the Hopkinsville police station like bats out of hell. Have you ever seen the movie Fire in the Sky? Yeah, they didn't arrive like that in real life, but in this case, they did. The truck smoking, careening, you know, like it just drove out of hell. Yeah, in this case, that actually did happen. Pulled up to the police station in the middle of the night, claiming that small alien creatures from a spaceship were attacking their farmhouse and that they'd been holding them off with gunfire for almost four hours. Two of the adults, Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor, claimed they had been shooting at 12 to 15 dark, short uh, figures who repeatedly popped up at the doorway and peered into the windows. Concerned about a possible gun battle between local citizens, four city police, five state troopers, I'm still going, three deputy sheriffs, and four military policemen from the nearby Fort Campbell drove to the Sutton Farmhouse located near the town of Kelly in Christian County. Now, I'm not going to make any major assumptions here. I know this was 1955. I don't know what 1955 has to do with it because listen to this. Don't you think this is a bit overkill? Four city police, five state troopers, three deputy sheriffs, four military police. That's odd. That's really odd. Especially a, a local skirmish, people shooting at each other. Why would the military police be interested in this? Their search yielded nothing. They all drove out to the Sutton Farmhouse located near the town of Kelly, which is where the Kelly thing comes from. They drove to Hopkinsville to the police station there. But Kelly is just a hop, skip, and a jump from there. Kelly is a tiny, tiny place. Very small town. I think it's considered a settlement, actually, still to this day. But anyway, their search yielded nothing, apart from the evidence of gunfire and holes in window and door screens made by firearms. So they could tell, yes, there definitely was some kind of shootout, be it one-sided or not. But they could confirm that, yes. Residents of the farmhouse included Glennie Lankford, her children, Lonnie, Sheraton, Carl, Charlton, Charlton, sorry, and Mary, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer, Lucky, Sutton, John, Charlie, J.C. Sutton, their respective wives, Vera and Aileen, Aileen's brother, O.P. Baker and Billy Ray Taylor and his wife, June. That's a lot of people for a story like this. A lot of chances to get stories screwed up. You know what I mean? Lucky. Well, both the Taylors, actually, Lucky and Vera, were reportedly interim carnival workers who were visiting the farmhouse. The next day, neighbors told two officers that the families had packed up and left after seeing that the creatures had returned at about 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, they came back after the police visited. The family's claims received widespread coverage in local and national press, Every article, early articles did not refer to little green men, which you'll hear about a lot in this story. Little green men. That color was added to news, you know, to sell newspapers. I'm honestly, it really was. <laughs> and I'm not just being sarcastic here. The little green men thing, which is where we get, this is one of the major stories that gave us that term, little green men. It was put in the newspapers to, you know, sell the papers. They were not green. Nobody ever reported green. Estimates of the size of the creatures varied from two to four feet, and details such as large pointed ears, claw-like hands, eyes that glowed yellow, and spindly legs was also reported in various media. As far as explanations go, 
Psychologists Rodney Schmaltz and Scott Lillenfield cite the alleged incident as a sample of pseudoscience and an extraordinary claim to help students develop critical thinking skills. As I said, this is actually taught in classes of higher learning to, uh, let's just say it like it is, we're all adults here, to discern bullshit. But that's, that's how they view it. Although contemporary newspaper stories alleged that all officials appeared to agree that there was no drinking involved. Now, listen to that. Newspaper stories at the time said no drinking was involved. Come on. 1955. This is Kentucky. This is bourbon country. I would be alarmed if no one was drinking something. Schmaltz and Lillifield suggested intoxication may have played a part in the sighting. We can't prove the drinking thing. I don't know about you, but even the most gut rot stuff that you can still get in Kentucky, because I live here, you know, I have a certain way that I can see things. This place is only an hour away from me, so it's not like I'm going to go to a completely different looking place. You know, the people who live there hung out in this area. By saying that, what I mean is even the most gut rot... <laughs> moonshine, vodka, whatever, around this area, stuff that's probably going to give you stomach cancer if you smell it, is not going to make you hallucinate little goblins. It's not. you got to be drinking gasoline or something. Even if you're drinking gasoline, I don't think it's going to make you hallucinate. you got to huff it, right? But Committee for Skeptical Inquiry member and skeptic Joe Nickel notes that the family could have misidentified eagle owls or great horned owls, which are nocturnal, fly stealthily, have yellow eyes, and aggressively defend their nests. And I'm going to add something. They look like owls. You're telling me that these people in 1955, carnival workers, farmers, people who are used to being outside, misidentified an owl? Are you kidding me? That's preposterous. Like like we say on this show, with the paranormal these days, and I, I'll say it every show. I know you might be getting tired of it, but I got to say it. Common sense is never used in the field of paranormal study anymore. I watch these YouTube videos and they make me sick to my stomach. I watch these TV shows and I'm like, oh my God, what you're reporting on is so amazing anyway. Why do you have to church it up? Why do you have to play the fake music? And why do you have to do the dramatic editing and all that? This story is dramatic on its own. Just play it straight. And I promise you'll still get those ratings. I wish that mode of thinking would die. If you hear kids screaming their asses off outside, like somebody's being murdered, trust me, I don't live next to an active volcano. The kids in this neighborhood, remember back in the day? Huh? Remember back when you got done playing your NES, your mom told you to go outside? Super NES, maybe at the latest. Atari Jaguar, if you were lucky. Your mom told you to go play outside. And you went outside, stood there, looked up at the sky, and screamed like you were being gutted alive. Yeah, I don't remember that either. I don't know what the hell's going on with these kids. But anyway, hopefully I will try to mix that out. <laughs> I will try my best. I've been a studio engineer for 20 years, and it's like these kids know this. They know this. They think, okay, we're going to test his mixing skills. I swear they know. Every time I hit record, they just instinctively know. But that's preposterous. With that said, you know, using our common sense brains, which is not used anymore in the field of paranormal study, it's just not. People never look at the evidence and just examine it for what it is. Black and white, clear as crystal, here it is. Use your common sense. Nobody does that. So you mean to tell me 
that these country folk, and that's what they are, you know, the good old boys, you know what I'm talking about? This is the, <laughs> this place is the birthplace of the good old boy. It is. So you mean to tell me that these good old boys, 1955, these guys are used to being outside working hard, you know. They misidentified a fucking owl. Give me a break. Committee, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Uh, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. That's a stretch that's so bad you probably broke the damn thing off. I don't buy that for a second, that they could misidentified an owl. According to Nickel, meteor sightings also occurred at the time. What he failed to mention is they didn't occur over Hopkinsville. It was more this area, actually, right here, where it was the most visible, the Paducah, Kentucky area. In Hopkinsville, Kelly, depending on where you were standing, the meteor shower would have been very difficult. This is a heavily wooded area. So that's kind of skeevy, too. Seems like they're stretching quite a bit. And I'm not trying to lean one way or the other or convince you of something, but I'm just saying, common sense, they're stretching. Meteor, exciting, uh, meteor sightings also occurred at the time in this area <laughs> and around the time, so we might not know if it's even the same night, that he says could explain Billy Ray Taylor's claim that he saw a bright light streak across the sky and disappear beyond a tree line. I just punched my desk some distance from the house. We're very professional today. Author Brian Dunning noted that the height of the owls would be comparable to at least the lower end of the reported range of around two feet. There are simply too many similarities between the creatures reported by the families and an aggressive pair of the local great horned owls. Come on. Who do stand two-thirds of a meter tall. What, were some of them standing on their tippy toes? <laughs> Did some of them have platform shoes on? I don't know. Let's find out. French ufologists... Uh, if I uh, I cannot pronounce that name. A okay, let's start the sentence over. A French ufologist also argued in a publication that the best explanation of the case is great horned owls. Oh my god! It seems like uh, somebody drank the punch over in France too. Ufologist Jerome Clark writes that the supposed creatures floated through the trees, and the sound of bullets striking them resembled bullets striking a metal bucket. Clark describes an odd luminous patch along a fence where one of the beings had been shot and in the woods beyond a green light whose source could not be determined. This description was consistent with Foxfire, they say. If you don't know what Foxfire is, it's a bioluminescent fungus that's typically found on decaying wood. Rare in this area. But I gotta tell you, do you know what Foxfire looks like? Do you really know? I've seen it in person. Do you know what Foxfire looks like? Yeah. Okay, imagine... <laughs> imagine it's 382 BC, okay? And you're Aristotle. Why am I saying this? Because Aristotle in 382 BC was the guy that discovered Foxfire. What did he say? The first guy that ever saw it. Did he explain that some great ship had landed and all this? No. What did he say? He said it looked like fungus glowing. Because <laughs> that's what it looks like. Come on. I've been, I've been in this area. I haven't been exactly where this thing supposedly landed. But man, you're going to need a shitload of Foxfire. A lot of bioluminescent fungus to make somebody think that a ship landed. There's a lot of stretching going on here. At best, at best, this bioluminescent fungus, which I stress is kind of rare around here. It is rare. It's here, but it's rare. 
if you throw a stone, you're probably in trying to hit Foxfire with it, you're probably going to be out there all night. At best, Foxfire lights up probably a foot radius around it. That's it. And even then, that's pretty dim. Clark also wrote that investigation... This is what bugs me, man. I know you guys like try to come up with explanations for stuff and try to explain things, but don't some of these people know what they're saying is absolutely ridiculous? If you don't believe it, just say, here's what it may have been. These people are straight up saying, no, this is what it is. No, it's not. Clark also wrote that investigations by police, Air Force officers from nearby Fort Campbell, and civilian ufologists found no evidence of a hoax. However, Brian Dunning reported, the claim that Air Force investigators showed up the next day at Miss Langsford's house has been published a number of times by later authors, but there is no corroborating evidence that the Air Force went back. The four military police who accomplished, accomplished, (laughs) my notes, who accompanied the police officers on the night of the event. We're from an army base, not an air force base. If you look at the official papers, I don't know where he got this info, but if you look at the study that was declassified by Project Blue Book, the parts that did not get the big black marker, it says air force. Some ufologists compared the alleged creatures to gremlins. I am about ready to dismiss everything that Brian Dunning said, because this is a major error. You know what I mean? major error. How could he screw that up? Getting the branch incorrect or just saying that it was this and thinking nobody would fact check this? At the time he said it anyway, Project Blue Book hadn't been declassified yet. So he just said, oh, no, 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 no. It was, uh, it was Army, wasn't it? See? Debunked. No, they're lying. No, you're lying. So what did Brian Dunning say? Okay, he just came up with the... Uh, uh, it's debunked because it was a different thing. Nope, I'm dismissing that. I think I caught you in a lie there, buddy. Some ufologists, or a mistake, some ufologists compared the alleged creatures to gremlins, which sometimes, you'll, you know, like I said, you'll hear about this as the Hopkinsville-Kelly gremlins or gremlin encounter, which have since often been referred to as, you know, like I said, Hopkinsville goblins. (laughs) Ufologist Alan Hendry wrote, the case is distinguished by its duration and also by the number of witnesses involved. We'll get to that. Project Blue Book listed the case as a hoax, With no further comment, I don't like that sentence in my notes. Let me elaborate on that. Project Blue Book listed the case as a hoax with no further comment or explanation. The event is at the origin of the popularization of the words Little Green Men. This is one, uh, I'm not going to say that this is the number one place where that saying came from, but this is one of the major ones where we got the Little Green Men thing. When will they turn their back on you? Hal, Dick, and Dave, defined as American political cartooning in the 21st century, Hal, Dick, and Dave cartoon comedy shorts prove that life can be funnier than any stand-up routine. Please make sure to subscribe to their channel, Hal, Dick, and Dave, to make sure your world is a little bit more funny. Hal, Dick, and Dave is now on YouTube. All necessary links will be in this episode's description, so check them out. Thank you, Hal, Dick, and Dave, for sponsoring Asylum 817 Productions. Show them some love, guys. Prior to this sighting, flying saucer occupants were just called little men. 
Little Green Men were limited to the science fiction culture, which is actually where it started, the pulp magazines and whatnot. In particular, the Mac Reynolds story, The Case of the Little Green Men, 1951. See how I said it was a bit murky? And in Frederick Brown's Martians Go Home, 1955. The day following the alleged sighting, however, local reporters started to call the creatures Little Green Men, and the words were soon reproduced by pretty much every newspaper in the United States, quoted on the radio, translated into other languages. This thing went worldwide. So worldwide, in fact, that in the late 1970s, Steven Spielberg used the event as the basis for Night Skies, an unproduced science fiction horror film. Yeah. Want to keep going? Critters. You ever see that movie? 1986, come on. Don't admit that you haven't seen Critters, and don't admit that you've liked it either. (laughs) I know you won't, but you did. Come on. 1986, Critters is loosely based on this event. Sableye, the Pokemon. You know Sableye. 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 Introduced in the Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire is based on the Hopkinsville Goblins. Yeah, it's a Pokemon named after the thing. In the games, they're animated with a swaying or waiting motion based on the creature's reported gait. Pathfinder. You ever play Pathfinder? The Hobkins, a type of gremlin from the Bestiary 5 book, is based upon the goblins in the Hopkinsville encounter. The event was the basis for the Annoyance Theater's musical that came, musical that came from Kentucky. February 2020 episode of... Project Blue Book focused on this thing. The Kelly community celebrates the event annually with the Little Green Men Days Festival. It's a big one. And it's also one of the most well-reported UFO cases in history. So what gets me thinking, and hopefully you're thinking the same thing, what really gets me thinking is that, okay, so we have these UFO cases that happen, right? We have these UFO cases that happen, And they're like in the middle of the night, there's only a few people there. People go out and they try to investigate the thing. And I often think to myself, how does this get so big? How does this get so well known? How do you even study something like this that you weren't even there to see? How does it become so big, you know? I think with this one, I mean, that's debatable. It's story to story, right? But with this one, there were so many witnesses. This was 67 years ago. But there were 11 people there. And unlike UFO cases where there were way less people, the thing that freaks me out the most about this particular story is that every witness said exactly the same thing. What are the odds of that? That never happens, ever. Even in some events that I believe occurred, (laughs) you never have witnesses that are corroborating perfectly. It's crazy. How many stories, how many stories are out there, excuse me, ones that we can actually prove? How many stories that we know are fact? I'm talking Lincoln's assassination, Kennedy's assassination. I'm talking not just stuff like that. You know, I'm talking about, all this, all this stuff, anything, any event in history that was big, you know? Oh, my God. Elvis Presley's funeral, you know? <laughs> Things that we weren't there for, but that we confirm actually happened. There's people who have different accounts of things, and we know that these events occurred. Now, there's questions as to maybe who was involved specifically with such events, but I won't go there. 
but we know that these events occurred. Yeah, most of them were filmed. But okay, let's take into consideration events that weren't filmed that we know occurred, right? <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Well, just for example, let's say the birth of Nikola Tesla. <laughs> we weren't there for that, were we? Now, no one took a photo the moment he was born, but we have evidence. We know the guy was around. I'm sure if we pulled a pool of people who was there when Nikola Tesla was born, I'm sure we'll find a couple people who say the wallpaper was brown when it was actually white. I suck at giving examples, but I hopefully, hopefully you guys know what I'm talking about here. 11 people saw something like this who would, that would be impossible to explain. And they all have the same story. Nobody said anything different. That's weird. Really weird. Half of these were kids who were told to go hide under the table as all this was occurring. They were told to close their eyes, hide under the table. Some of the kids complied. Some of them did not. And you're curious. You're wondering why it's scary. Guns are going off. I'm sure these kids have heard guns before. This is Kentucky. 1955, middle of nowhere, good old boys, you know what I mean? Country folk. They've heard guns before, but inside, all the adults sounding terrified, let's say they saw owls or whatever, which is ridiculous. But let's say they did, they misidentified the owl. They're screaming, they're shooting, they're hollering. It's scary. These little kids are told to close their eyes, but I guarantee you there's going to be a kid or two who's going to get curious. Open their eyes and wonder what the hell's going on. And the ones that did had the same story. Four hours these things shot at them. And when they seemed to back off, these things, and <laughs> it sounded like I was saying the aliens were shooting at them. No, these things is in the humans. Wow, I need coffee. Four hours the humans were shooting at these things. And when they seemed to finally back off, they hauled ass to the truck, grabbed everybody, and went to Hopkinsville to report it. I have questions about what's going on here. Why was there such an overblown response to this? I mean, I hate, uh, I'm, I'm sorry for, you know, sounding like a broken record here. But like I've said before, how many times? This is Kentucky, 1955. Middle of nowhere. Everybody knows everybody. Why the hell were there milita military personnel that came out? What do you think? They were just sitting at the police office at 11 at night? There's a very little-known story that I don't care what documentary you watch, I don't care what book you read, that you will never find out about the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter because most people consider it unrelated. I don't. Did you know that the local police for weeks had been getting reports of lights in the sky leading up to this event? Weeks. Now, I'm not saying this proves anything or corroborates anything. But it does raise my eyebrow as far as why the military was called. They want you to think these skeptics and even the people who, God bless them, who talk about this and do the documentaries and YouTube videos and all that, they make it sound like the, you know, <laughs> there was somebody from the military just sitting there and no one had to call them, that they just came out and heard about it, you know, <laughs> by osmosis. No, 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 no. Somebody called them. Think about that. Think about it. This is bourbon country. This is moonshine country. What's the first thing? Come on. You think of these farmers, circus people. Not making fun of circus people. I'm just saying. 
They go to the police office at the uh, police department at 11 o'clock at night. I saw goblins outside the window. We've been shooting at them for four hours. We need some help. What's the first fucking thing that that police officer is going to say? They know each other. They go to church together. That is how it is around here. Why? Because I live an hour away. That's how it is. What's the first thing they're going to say? Man, what you been drinking? Give me a break. Man, you're telling tall tales. What'd you get in some fight over? Come on. But seems like the police were pretty convinced. Like without any leg pulling at all. And they called the military. They did. It's not confirmed as to who exactly called the military, but use your fucking common sense. Who the hell do you think did? Huh? Billy Ray? No. <laughs> right? It was the police station. Why would they call the military? I think, common sense brain here, that this wasn't the first time that they thought there's something flying around up there. Now, what's weird is I recently watched a documentary, uh, what was this, Travel Channel, where they sent somebody out and we got an exclusive interview with the family that's still around. One of the kids who was, you know, uh, under the table and then the other one who was also under the table. One had her eyes closed, the other one got curious. They still live out there. Well, still on that farm. Travel Channel came out and decided to do an investigation. Very scientific. Very scientific. I mean, I was impressed. You know what he went out there with, the guy doing the show? A metal detector. Oh, man. Regular Doc Brown over here. A metal detector. Okay. <laughs> You're getting paid by the Travel Channel, and that's what you bring out there. All right. Are you not aware that most legitimate, and I do say legitimate because you can prove some of these. We proved one on this show. For some reason, one of the byproducts of a UFO landing or being in close proximity to the Earth is radiation. And that's with 100% of these confirmed and ones that I believe are real that we've proven landing sites. There is always radiation in the soil. Travel Channel brought nothing, just a metal detector to scan the trees and see if they had bullets in them. <laughs> are you kidding me? All you're trying to go, it's like, it's just, it, it, it bothers me. They're using fake metal detector beepy sounds that metal detectors do not make. And he's standing like 50 feet away from the camera. There's no way his lab is going to pick that up. The dramatic music swells. You could tell that they're not saying what they are actually saying because the two women with him are not trained TV personalities, nor are they actors. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, man, could you at least get a couple of takes to find one that might be a little more realistic. I know that you have to make it flow for TV and all that, or you think you do. Because like I said, this story, you do have to have some kind of structure, yeah, but this story is dramatic enough. You don't need to church it up, like I said. So he goes out there with his metal detector, like an Einstein over here. Very, very, you know, got his shit together. <laughs> really knows his UFO stuff. First thing I would bring is an EMF meter. But anyway, goes out there, scans the trees, and finds out that there is some metal lodged in the trees. And he goes, oh, yeah, there's bullets in there. How the hell do you know that? <laughs> what, did, what is it, an x-ray machine? No, it's a metal detector. Detects metal. Yeah, there may be bullets in there, but 
I don't know, man. The last encyclopedia I read, it, it's mind-blowing. Pretty mind-blowing. But I think there are some other things that are made out of metal. Call me crazy, I know. Why would you make things other than bullets out of metal? I just... I, I sound like a smartass. But like I said, these shows make me sick to my stomach. But one compelling thing that they did find... And amazingly, this was not the thing that they churched up. <laughs> they talked about this on the show for like two seconds and then moving on. There was a depression in the ground. And they really, the part that I think that they did right, the part that they really studied on, they pinpointed exactly where this thing was, where it had supposedly landed. I really wish he'd brought something to analyze that damn soil. Didn't take any samples, nothing. Oh, it pissed me off. I mean, when is the next time that someone is going to be allowed to go out there and film and walk around with a metal detector acting all professional? It was laughable. It was laughable. Didn't take any soil samples, nothing. But there is a depression in the ground where the trees look weird. They look like they've been growing out of irradiated soil. They're gnarled. They're twisted. They're about half the diameter of all the other trees around them. No grass is growing in that area, and the grass that is growing in that area had a weird yellow tint to it. Why did you not take plant and soil samples? That was a wasted opportunity. I hope that someday some investigator, ufologist, paranormal, or whoever, goes out there and knows what the fuck they're doing. And maybe we can get some real data here. Can we prove the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter? No way. And it kind of, doesn't it skeeve you out too that we are putting this much emphasis into a UFO encounter that spawned a new Pokemon? You know, <laughs> it kind of makes you, I know it's a bias, so I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to weigh my decisions or anything based on that. But isn't it kind of funny that you know, like, you were trying to prove something that spawned a Pokemon? <laughs> Sableye. They did a good job. Well done, Nintendo. It looks just like the Hopkinsville Goblins. There's a festival for this thing every year. And every interview, uh, I'm just going to say this. I don't like making fun of anybody. I don't give anybody crap. I know, like I said, these are good old folk. These are country folk that's still, that are still there. Paducah's a little bit different. It's more of a town, more of a city. But when you're trying to explain something like this to the world, and you have film crews out there and whatnot, could you sound a little less crazy, maybe? That's just my only, my only gripe. These two ladies... Ugh. You just you got to tone it down just a little bit because you're making this whole thing really not look true. But unfortunately, I can't go off of that. I'm not very good at reading people that way. But if I just took it at face value, I think they're full of shit. Really. They do not seem to me like people who are balls to bones telling the truth. They really don't look like that. And that bothers me. I haven't seen one person involved with this entire thing look into that camera and me look into their eyes and be like, oh, yeah, they're telling the truth. I haven't seen one person like that throughout this whole thing. There may have been once upon a time a couple have passed on. But I think this one requires further study. It's interesting. I can't find anything to disprove it. There's no evidence out there that we can look at and say, oh, this is fake. This is hoax. This is this and that. 
I want to look at, well, actually, I don't want to look at the Project Blue Book file on this because, man, this one really got a hold of the big black marker. Is there anything that I can pull up? Because I tried for hours last night to try to find something in Project Blue Book. And it's so, it almost looks intentionally vague. I know we're rich, we're reaching at this point, we're stretching. Tell you what, we'll just say merits further study, and I'll keep an eye on this one. Now, since I only live an hour away from this place, I think it would be cool to do a follow-up in Kelly. I'm really considering this. I was talking to my buddy last night, actually one of my patrons, Aaron Kunkel of the Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, and his wife Amanda, lovely people, love them to death, wonderful, wonderful human beings. But they're film, they're you know short filmmakers. They're they're video video cats. They know their stuff. So I was thinking about grabbing one or both of them and going out to Kelly and doing a follow up episode of Strange Places right there on location. I'm really thinking about doing it. So, yeah, let me put my thinking cap on and get some things churning. And I've been wanting to do an on-location episode. That would be cool. Imagine that. Sitting at Whitehaven, one of the, uh, you know, the Black Angel of Iowa City, doing any of these on-location things, actually sitting there during the time it's supposed to be occurring, that would be cool. And I promise, no loudly beeping metal detectors and no dramatic music. (laughs) <laughs> we'll play it straight. It's a weird one. Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. We don't have anything to prove it or disprove it. It's a fascinating story. And there's things in there that make me go huh, both ways. More leaning towards it, this could have happened, actually. Why was the Air Force called? Why did people lie and say it was the Army? Why was Project Blue Book so vague about this? They could have torn this one to shreds, and they didn't. And from my experience anyway, when the U.S. government doesn't touch anything that they could have torn to shreds, they're just covering their ass. And the reason they do that is because they know that this event happened, and they're going to do as little as possible to explain it, because it is true. When the government, usually, nine times out of ten, when the U.S. government is that tight-lipped or that vague, there's something to look into. I guarantee it. Maybe there is something to look into. Maybe there isn't. We'll keep an eye on this one. The Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. What do you guys think? Did I miss some crucial detail that would have blown this whole thing wide apart? Let me know. Go to Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there, as well as the link to get to our Patreon account, where you can get everything from bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, giveaways at certain tiers, all kinds of stuff. So check it out. Or, or... You can go to patreon.com slash asylum817. Special thanks to the Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson, for being patrons. I really appreciate you guys and gals. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's it. That's this week. Well, that went by fast. (laughs) Will we ever run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place. And maybe one day, we'll visit yours.
The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support Strange Places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.